It's time for the Believer, Unbeliever, and In-Betweener podcast. Join in on the conversation as three friends discuss socially relevant topics in view of biblical truth, where scripture meets skepticism. Welcome your hosts, Stephanie, Michelle, and Cheryl. Okay, so let's bring our next guest on. Uh, we have Joseph Victor joining us, and we're really excited to get Joseph Victor's perspective on this topic of Freemasonry as we explore the question, is Freemasonry a philanthropic fraternal brotherhood or a satanic deception? So we want to welcome Joseph Victor to our show. Joseph, we just want to say hi. Welcome. Yep. Hi, Hello. Joseph. Welcome. Yep. Thanks for having me on. This yeah. It's going to be fun. Yeah, it's going to be interesting. Yep. Um, so Joseph is a former Master Mason in the York Rite. He achieved the Royal Arch Mason, which is the seventh degree of the York Rite, and this is the highest rank that one can achieve in this rite. He was also the worshipful master of his craft lodge, so he ran the lodge, as, as I understand it. Um, he was also a Shriner, and today he is now a christian a believer and follower of jesus christ so that's a little bit about joseph about your background if you want to elaborate on any of that for our listeners uh feel free yeah so um i did go up through the york right a lot of attention gets focused on the scottish right uh, and people like albert pike get a, a lot of attention drawn to them for their theories that informed the scottish right but uh, the York Rite is, in a way, kind of seen as more of an ancient rite, and when you get to the top, that's where the Knight Templar uh, crossover comes in, where I attain the seventh degree is the highest rank of the Royal Arch, so the York Rite is essentially put into blocks. You have your Craft Lodge degrees, which is your first degree, excuse me, you have your Royal Arch degrees, which is what I achieved the top of, and then there's two other layers above culminating in, in the Knight Templar. Um, you know, it's actually, it's, um, it seems to take longer to get up through the, the York Rite degrees, but that could also be just a matter of geography for me. Um, so anyway, yes, I was also worship, worshipful master of my craft lodge, which is the title that's given to the master of the lodge. Um, I was in it for about a decade. And if you look at, you know, the time I've left, it was about a third of my life, if you want to get down to it. Um, you know, not to say that it was all bad and that it did teach me some things about myself and having a network of men around me to support me was good for a point in time. But then essentially what happened was I came, I heard the call of Christ and decided to answer. Mm. Um, I was raised religious as a Baptist, as a child, and then I walked away and wandered and strayed for a long time. And for the first time I decided to say, you know, kind of accept that maybe I don't have things figured out and Christ seems to be, seems to be a good uh, source from which to take your, your cues in life. And when I started reading the revealed word of Christ, I saw a lot of things that were telling me that what you're doing in the Freemasons is not in accordance with how Christ would have us live our lives so we can walk alongside our, our creator in the way he intended. Mm. And I'll, I'll just to, to cut the introduction short, but like one example I have here is from Matthew 5, 33 to 37, which is where his whole thing about do not swear an oath, neither by the Lord or by your own head, which I think is a really interesting 
-hmm. interesting that he threw that in there. If you if you, mm -hmm. you understand what the Masonic philosophy is in terms of it's it's an elevation of the human intellect above all things. So that, along with other examples, showed me that despite the good sounding rhetoric on the surface of the Freemasons and the Shriners, which I also was a Shriner, and that's where you have your network of hospitals or something like 20 some odd, I think, in the United States. There's one in Canada and Quebec. And they, this is what I mean. Yes, they do good things. They help children. They, yeah. uh, they, they allow families to be with children who are, who are in, you know, burn victims or needing orthopedic surgeries. But my argument is that when you look at, when you strip it down to the core philosophy and the structure of the organization is there's an evil sitting at the very top, uh, a very small circle that hides behind all that good deeds. And the 99% of Freemasons that you're going to bump into in your towns and your cities, I would argue are very much deceived. And for someone who's currently in the fraternity, that's, let's just say, you know, that, that can get someone on the defensive. Yeah. Right? Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. But I'm not trying to do that because in all, in all honesty, I was one of those guys at one time that would get on the defensive. And again, reading the word of Christ and that kind of revealed to me, like, if you, if you get that hardness of your heart, then that's trying to tell you something. Mm -hmm. So I guess it's, uh, yeah, it's been revealing in, in my discipleship in Christ because I don't really identify with any religion per se. I'm not a, I'm not a Protestant. I'm not a Roman Catholic. I'm not right. a, mm -hmm. I'm a disciple in Christ. Amen. Yep. And, and that, that's how, how I would refer to myself yeah. as well as a follower. Yeah. I, I don't even like using the word Christian sometimes because nope. that has been so skewed, you know? Mm -hmm. Yeah. Same here. Christianity yes. is another world religion and Christ did not come to bring us another world religion. Praise God. Mm -hmm. You know, since we're bringing up the scriptures, I, I would love to introduce a few verses as well as we can, as we start this uh, conversation and it's from Ephesians 5, starting in verse 8. I'm going to read from the NLT. It says, For once you were full of darkness, but now you have light from the Lord. So live as people of light, for this light within you produces only what is good and right and true. Carefully determine what pleases the Lord. Take no part in the worthless deeds of evil and darkness. Instead, expose them. Yes. So I feel like that's what we're doing here today is we are exposing the the deeds of darkness. And I think that to the degree, Joseph, that we could help people understand why do people like you or myself or other former Masons, like why do we say that I think is going to be really helpful mm -hmm. if we can do a good job of articulating that. Um, because especially as Christians, we are commanded to expose this um be wise as serpents and gentle as doves amen uh one other thing i just because when you said ephesians like another verse that i take as a very fundamental guidepost and to reiterate what i was just saying a minute ago ephesians six twelve is one of my favorites for our struggle is not against flesh and blood but against the rulers against the authorities against the powers of this dark world and against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realms yeah. If it's uh, as my music pastor says, as he was taught at one point, if it has flesh and blood, it's not your enemy. That's it. I think that's such a great point. And like when you talk about how this all trees up to some higher 
group of people, um, I, you know, I think it's really important that people understand that there is a component of this that is not human, right? Mm-hmm. I mean, would you agree with that, Joseph? And that's where we were talking beforehand about the yeah. qualifier of a satanic deception. Yeah. And that term, how that term gets maybe misunderstood and why I, why I would use that is I think because the level of deception that's involved is at a degree where it needs a better qualifier than just something our rational faculties can conceive. Yeah. There's a deception that is just so removed from core, you know, compassion, uh, the core revealed principles of Christ that satanic is the only way you can describe it. And no, I'm not saying that Freemasons are devil worshipers who get together, sacrifice goats or virgins or whatever your mind has, has conceived, especially not in any local lodge. Um, again, it's, that's, you know, that's part of what is used as a straw man. And in, I think a lot of people who are zealous for the organization will use to say that, oh, you're, you're accusing us of all this and, and it's not true. But, um, I guess, yeah, part of me doing this is I don't want to attack straw man arguments. I want to put the actual facts are there because there are a lot of people who've informed my thinking on it, or I don't know if you guys are familiar with someone like Bill Cooper. He was kind of like an old school truther i guess you if you want to call it that who's pre-internet he had a radio shows and as someone who was not initiated into the fraternity as he claims he was very accurate you know because me being someone who was initiated put a lot of my time and energy into the philosophies uh and then come out the other side i can say I can go back and look what people like Bill Cooper or even maybe the Jordan Maxwell's of the world had been saying even before the internet became a thing and say, yeah, uh, what he said. Yeah. I'm familiar with Jordan Maxwell and his teachings, um, not Cooper, but yeah. Cooper's kind of an unsung hero of that genre. Yeah. He was actually murdered by the federal government. Mm, okay. You know, they, they came onto his land and they shot him. Mm. Now, uh, he was someone who, like, when Alex Jones first came out, he was he was saying, you know, this Alex Jones guy, he sounds really good. He sounds he sounds like trying to do the right thing, but he's really uh, a provocateur. He's trying to get people riled up. Like the very first time Alex Jones kind of broke into the mainstream was during Y2K. He was on the radio telling people nuclear reactors were melting down and play. You know what I mean? Like Bill Cooper was one of those people that said, have eyes to see and ears to hear people. Yep. You know, what he's saying makes sound like what you want to hear, mm-hmm. but it goes deeper than that. And yeah, he's, yep. he's another dead hero. Bill Cooper is. So, um, so when you say things like the people, uh, like a large percentage of Masons today that are in the lodges, they're deceived. Um, you know, help, help us understand what the purpose of that would be. Like why keep them deceived? And, and, at, and at what point does one become not deceived? Or is that just a function of one coming to Christ? Like, can you give some, shed some light on that? Well, to answer your first question, if I could answer it in one word, why power? Okay. Strictly it's, when I say these people, again, I'm talking about, I don't, maybe I shouldn't use these people, this, this apparatus, whatever it is, that decides this, that moves this thing in, in, in darkness, it has these weird rules almost it has to abide by. One of them is consent. They need our consent. 
Tarula. And oh, this yeah. is a, very much a way of getting that consent. Um, it appeals to people who are idealistic because in my case, you know, I was someone who grew up religious and at a very young age, well, I'd say in my teens, I walked away from the church and I threw the baby out with the bathwater because I saw religious hypocrisy at its finest and yep. thought that that was a reflection of what Christ was. I was. I did the same thing, Joseph. That, that was part of my journey too. I, I threw the baby out with the bathwater. I'm like, yeah. Yep. yep. Okay. So that, but being that the person I am, and I would argue people on this podcast are probably of this caliber, were not people who are just satisfied with surface level answers. So I was trying to get answers from the church and I wasn't getting anything satisfactory. So I wouldn't say I stopped believing in God because that's not really accurate. Although I might've said that in, in here, in, in my heart and in my soul, I was very much angry with God inside. So groups like the Freemasons are very good at appealing to uh, that that keen sense of seeking knowledge um, and even plays into, I would say a degree, the resentment and anger that comes, that comes with that. But here they are offering you essentially a chance to, if you want to get down to it at the core philosophy, a chance to get even with God, because this is at the top at the core philosophy. It's an elitist organization who sets themselves apart from the rest of us. And uh, I mean, I got stuff here highlighted. We can get into it maybe later or if you want me to. Now I have parts like in the Yosin obligations that I kind of picked out to show like, you know, there, there's always this specific emphasis on your brethren in masonry get preferential treatment. Mm. That's antithetical. That. <laughs> that is antithetical to what Christ said. He broke mm. down the barrier between Jew and Gentile. And another rabbit hole we could get into is I often describe Freemasonry as Judaism for Gentiles or Kabbalah for dummies. Because yeah, I've heard that too, mm -hmm. Joseph. It, yeah, it, it's yeah. The, it, that's what it's rooted in. It's rooted in these Judaic Kabbalistic um, doctrines. Yeah, if you read the Word of Christ, he didn't have anything good to say about the Pharisees who were yeah. who were um, perpetuating that in their day. And, and it's funny because because Michelle, your father said that the majority of Masons are Jewish. Yeah, he did. Yep. There you go. Yep. And yep. that's not. And I want to clarify right now, because I can already hear the people coming out crying, you're being anti-Semitic. That's yeah. another rabbit hole we can get into, because for one, you got to distinguish the Jews from the Israelites, if you want to have an honest discussion on here. The Israelites were the Semitic peoples, the Jews were of Judea. So I don't want to hijack by going down that, but uh, we're talking about ideas here is what I want to fundamentally remind people of. Yep. Mm -hmm. We're not talking about the people. We're talking about the ideas that inform people as the avatars of, mm -hmm. of good and evil in the world. Right. <clears throat> yep. yeah. Because your core basic fundamental assumptions is your starting point, right? So it's the lens, the filter through which you see the world, because I can tell you at one point I was a very angry, resentful individual. Um, and the elitism of Freemasonry kind of played into that. It's almost in a way for some, I'm not saying it's for everyone, I can only speak to my own experience on this, but it's in a way, it's a, a sense of getting even with God. And if you want to philosophically, um, it goes back to Babylon, the tower of Babel, the, the ideas expressed there of Nimrod essentially putting himself on even plane with God. Um, and then those ideas went in largely to eventually to inform the ancient mystery religions of Egypt. Um, and, 
in effect, what's happening, especially in the third degree, which we could get into a little more, is you're reenacting an ancient Egyptian king-making ceremony where you're symbolically killed three deaths, you traverse the underworld, and then you're brought back to life through a secret, a secret handshake and a magic word, in effect. <laughs> it's my and, and yeah, that's an ancient Egyptian wow. king-making um, ritual. But I think at this point, I kind of lost track of the original question. I thought I was... <laughs> well, no, I mean... Yeah. I, I was just curious if, if you could shed some light on what is the purpose of keeping these Freemasons, quote, deceived at a lower level. And maybe it may help if we explain a little bit about this pyramid structure. So when we refer to people at the top, maybe we could you maybe speak, Joseph, a little bit to what your understanding is? How, how where does Freemasonry fit into the pyramid in a sense? in your opinion, from your understanding? Well, first of all, just let's talk about the, the Masonic pyramid itself. Um, because in effect, what you come, or what I came to realize eventually was that the whole thing's based on deception from the ground up. So let me, let me kind of oversimplify, but this is how it works. You consent to be initiated. And I have an issue with that word consent, by the way, because we consent to things all the time without understanding what we're getting into. Sure. Uh, you consent to be initiated. So you go through your first degree ritual and you feel pretty good about yourself. And then you go through your second degree ritual and what do you find out? Yeah, we lied to you. Uh, stuff we told you before, that wasn't exactly tr entirely true. Here's a new set of information. And that goes all the way up the pyramid. You catch my drift? So yeah. right from the ground up, it's based on deceit. So immediately I, ha I take issue in principle with what it is you're trying to accomplish if you need to deceive people right from the get-go. Can you give uh, us an example, Joseph? Like, can you give us an example of when I was at this level, I was told this, and then when I got to that level, they said, nope, it's not that, it's this. It's just kind of like more uh, revealing of information. Like, okay, um, to give a good, I have a friend of mine who went through the 30, 32nd degree of the Scottish, right? And, when, and this is when we were still Masons and we were, I was worshipful master. He was my senior warden. He was my second in command of the craft lodge. And he come and talked to me one day and he was like, yeah, that was weird. And I was like, well, what do you mean? And anyway, he shared with me and I think I was kind of hinting at this earlier is in effect, he said, what I, what they teach you in the 32nd degree. So up until this point, you're taught about the equality of man, brotherhood, uh, all religions, all political stripes, all races, like this is kind of the good sounding veneer that they put out to promote Freemasonry as being, right? This equality. Yeah, and that's what we heard mm -hmm. yesterday from John. Yeah, yeah. Everything's great, hunky-dory, mm -hmm. kumbaya, uh, coexist, yeah. we're all good. Yeah. However, in the 32nd degree, what, it was, what was revealed to my friend is that what you actually learn is that the purpose of Freemasonry is to stand as a vanguard elite against from against which they define as the five ills of humanity. So again, you have to understand who's informing this. They are. So they're deciding what is considered an ill against humanity in terms of it threatening their power. So one example that I can kind of think oh, of. Oh, I see what you're saying. Okay. So in other words, who gets to, who's deciding these things? They are. Okay, so yeah, so what would be an example of the five ills of... Well, one that, one that I, I often point to is, 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 one of them is demagoguery. So let's explain, I guess, in a way, is how what they would see it as. So if, if they see themselves as this vanguard elite, 
Right, which they, they do. They view demagoguery as, so let's say you have the people, the masses, and one from those people decides to rise up and point to them and say, hey, you guys are lying to us. That would be demagoguery. Okay. Okay. So keep so, us a secret is kind of the message. What's that? So it's kind of like keep us a secret yeah. is the message. Yeah, okay. it, it, right. Now, in the modern times, Freemasonry is out and about there because of the internet and people like Dan Brown kind of popularized it. But this is like where it's a case of where we get the surface level view veneer of it, but there's still this apparatus operating well in darkness. In effect, and like in reading and taking in the word of Christ, what I come to learn is if you're doing something in secret to begin with, that is antichrist. Correct. I would agree with if, that. If it's in the darkness, if it's concealed... And if the information is only available to an elite, and I might be getting ahead, but I noticed in your questions, you asked about what's the difference between the 33rd degree and 32nd, 33rd yeah. degree, you better have a checkbook and it better be a fat mm. bank account backing it up. <laughs> yeah, mm-hmm. money. Money. Yeah, is, that the, is that the yeah. money? In other words, how much of your finances and that have you poured into advancing the core philosophies of this fraternity throughout your tenure? And then... At one point, you would because the 33rd degree is an invite only. It's kind of like right. an honorary degree. Mm-hmm. Same with the 13th degree of the York Rite. That, that's thing. what we heard yesterday. Yeah. Okay. So that, that's consistent. Yeah. So, but again, is what earns you that honor when you're not using God's standards, but you're using man's standards? Yeah. To define it, you know, because what we come to find in Christ is basically everything that men defa- value by default is. It's actually flipped on its head and reversed in the kingdom of heaven that the money, the power, the influence that men seek, that's actually, that's not what Christ wants you to seek in being in his discipleship. Yeah. So like, you know, you can't worship two gods, money and mammon. Well, at the top, it's, it's mammon rules. Yep. So, so Joseph, can you, the best of your ability like share with us your understanding of this hierarchy and where the freemasons fit into this because i think that that might help everyone sure have a better understanding of like what we're talking about in context so again yeah so the larger part of your original question was so you have what i would call you have an apparatus in the world that informs the elite consensus think tanks uh philanthropic foundations, uh, round tables, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. Freemasonry is kind of like a feeder ground. It's kind of like, think of it as kind of like a recruitment ground. So you have the elite who's already kind of instantiated through divine right of their blood, in effect, you know, uh, bloodlines and nobility families and such. But Freemasonry, I see kind of acts as like a recruitment ground. So it might find people who, well, in effect, it's, it's, it's a recruitment ground for finding useful idiots. And again, that's not a dig at anyone who's, because I'm putting myself in that category. I was a useful idiot in that capacity for a long time is where I was sold this lemon of enlightenment. Um, but in effect, I was selling my soul to Lucifer, um, feeding my own pride and my own, uh, my own desires and, and kind of making that my God. But anyway... So I guess that in a nutshell is where it would fit in on one hand. But then when you look at the people who are at the top of the pyramid of Freemasonry, you're literally talking nobility, people like Prince Philip. Like I had an article here actually 
um, that I was going to cite, like, um, yeah, the Duke of Edinburgh, member of Navy Lodge, like these nobility families really do comprise the top of this apparatus. And Freemasonry is like one node in the network, I guess you could say when you get at the top, because then you have like groups like the Jesuits, which would be another node in the network, where on the outside, they have this very good sounding rhetoric and veneer about what they're up to. But when you look into what what actually motivates them, you come to find that there's this almost this um, antagonistic attitude towards humanity that drives them at the very, very top. Um, so I, I hope that answers your question because anywhere beyond that, I can't really, I can't, I can theorize, I can postulate where it might play into other areas, but in terms of what I've experienced, it's a very good feeder ground in terms of finding the, the dupes and the useful idiots at the bottom or even in the middle that will give the consent needed for the ones at the very top to keep advancing their antagonistic agenda towards. Okay. Humans. So what is that agenda? So one might be hearing this going, okay, so sure. free, the Freemasons are the foot soldiers in a sense of these elite um, people, which maybe we can explain that a little bit further as well, but to what end, like what is the agenda here? Power and control. Can I ask? I don't mean to be oversimplifying, but that is really, that's really what it is. And Can I ask a simple question sure. though? Yeah, yeah. What, how much are the dues, just out of curiosity? Because I know you talked a little bit about money, and of course that's part of the power. Like, is it weekly, monthly? I mean, how much does it cost to become a Mason? Uh, depend, uh, well, that's a good question because it's very much, I would say, to succeed, it's a rich man's club. Yeah. Um, that's why my me, dad hasn't done it. <laughs> my dad me, hasn't done it in 30 years. Me, as a single, like our household, I'm the sole income earner. And we get by, but anyone knowing today, like that's mm -hmm. almost un unheard of, yeah. right? So I don't have a lot of discretionary income kicking around. Right. So your basic level, like I pay $100 a year to be a member of my craft lodge. However, the more of these rights and things you get into, especially the Shriners, that's the big money. Mm -hmm. stuff. Um, you know, you're getting hit up monthly for, um, you know, this good sounding program, that good sounding program, whatever, whatever, just you know, mm -hmm. gobbling up more and more of your excess resources mm -hmm. um, and, and putting it through the, the fraternity. So, you know, that was, you know, I had to back off from a lot of it. And in the end, I was only kind of just solely focusing on the craft lodge because really, I mean, anything more than that just took up so much more of my attention. Um, and also, you know, it was, I would say, you know, in the last couple of years that I was in there, I was having these doubts, you know what mm -hmm. I mean? Mm -hmm. Like, it didn't just happen one day. I just walked away. Um, so anyway, and those are, but uh, to answer your question is it's um, depends on how far you want to climb up the ladder. And again, that's, that's the other thing is you got to understand that's the motivation when coming into this organization is to climb that ladder mm -hmm. to get to the top of that pyramid. Because each time you get up, you learn something new. Uh, you feel like you're part of a, a small, each time you go up the ladder, you're part of a smaller and smaller circle. Mm. That makes sense. Yeah, yeah, that would make sense. You know what I mean? So, you yeah. know, the further you go up, um, actually, I had a part of my open obligation here. I was going to, um, anyway, the further you go up, you find out that you're in a, you're in a circle of smaller people who know what you know, and everyone below you is being deceived because if I could here, just one moment, um, I can cite something from my uh, oath and obligation that speaks mm. to this effect. 
That'd be great. Um, so, so Joseph, you're using the word oath and obligations because mm. Johnny had mentioned to us yesterday that you guys don't use the word oath. You use the word obligations, but you're using both. So that's the phraseology we used. How, now, how is it used? Oaths and obligations. So it's and obligations. And I can see that I can see I can see the urge to distance themselves from the use of the word oath, given what the citation I gave from Matthew earlier. Like it's, right. as more people start digging in, they start realizing, whoa, you know, should we as people who are trying to follow God? Because, again, you got to understand is they one of the prime prerequisites is you have to profess a belief in a supreme being. Right. Joint. It's undefined, though. It's very it's undefined. Right. It's, it's generic. Yep. Uh so that notion isn't discounted, isn't atheistic in that view. But what you come to realize is it's not the God you might think it is that, that, that's being worshipped at, at, say, at the very top. And the principles that are informing the very top versus, say, what the revealed God, word of God shows. But um, I was going to let me see if I can find that citation here. But where it talks about basically in the oath and obligation that part of it, basically uh, what you hear in each oath and obligation is that you will not reveal anything you learn in that degree to any brother of an inferior degree. Hmm. So again, it's, if we're contra, again, you got to understand, I'm using Christ standards, not man standards. Because a lot of people say, well, what's the problem? What if people want to be secretive? Right. Hey, exactly. fine. But what are... A, what is it this group's trying to claim to do? If this claims to be a worldwide philanthropic organization uh, whose actions are going to impact humanity, should we not get a say and understand what it is they have planned for us? So you mentioned the word, um, the God of Freemasonry. Who is the God of Freemasonry in your opinion? Lucifer. And how do you know that? For someone who has no idea, like, how, how does Joseph know with certainty? Because it sounds like you're pretty certain. If I didn't know you, I'd be like, wow, this guy's pretty certain that it's Lucifer. How do you know that? And how did you come to know that? So, yeah, and I was being, you know, forceful there on purpose. But I, I, in other words, like I say, I can confidently back that up. On one hand, I would say, okay, Lucifer's the God of Freemasonry. What do I mean by that? I mean, the unrestrained human intellect is the God of Freemasonry, which is represented by the serpent in these ancient cultures like the Phoenician cultures, the Egyptian culture, Babylon, Sumeria, Mesopotamia, all throughout creation and even in the creation story, that's what the serpent is representing there, that, uh, that notion of the unrestrained human intellect, unrestrained by the transcendent principles revealed by God. Mm -hmm. And what you come to find out is when that's actually put into practice, uh, when you look at you know, say ancient cultures, and you look at the stories in the Bible, when people turn from God, when man turns from God and says, I got this, you create a hell on earth. Yeah. So that's what I mean when I say Lucifer is the God of Freemasonry. I don't know if that's satisfying. And that's what I mean when I say it's satanic, because you can rationalize anything for your own power. Mm -hmm. uh, a lot of people, a lot like in the mainstream, the scientific worldview, and I'm not insulting like the, the other lady on the podcast story who says that, but say the, the dogmatic scientific worldview, um, I guess is, is kind of hubristic in that sense where it likes to reduce everything down to materialism and give no room for the transcendent. Because one thing I want to clarify is 
I would consider myself quite a scientifically minded person. Um, you know, people like Dr. Richard Feynman had some really good thoughts about contrasting faith and science, quite, you know, not what you would expect a scientist to say. Yeah. Um, but there is definitely very much, I would say, an, a, a, a worldview espoused in the mainstream of this hyper-rationalistic view that is going to be the salvation of mankind. And I argue it's going to be the detriment of mankind. Mm. So when you say, so just to paraphrase, so when you say Lucifer is the God of Freemasonry, what you're not saying is that Masons 33rd degree and up or at the higher levels of Masonry, they're not sitting in a room worshiping a statue of Lucifer. That's not what you're saying. That's not what I'm saying. Right. But that's not just, you know, that's not what I know. That is not what I'm saying. Yeah. So how is this different than any government official or any CEO of a corporation? I mean, why? I'm the unbeliever of the group, so I'm the, I'm the skeptic here. Yep. But um, I mean, why is Freemasonry singled out as this deceptive group? Whereas isn't anyone who's, I don't know, climbing a corporate ladder the same person or, or climbing the political ladder? Or I guess we're all worshiping Lucifer as well. Um, I, I would say on one hand, yes. And then I guess on another hand, no. Um, and I, I do think the structure of Freemasonry does inform government structures yeah. out there and political and corporate structures that are based on secrecy and deception. And I get, okay. Well, just well, like Johnny said yesterday, you know, Coke keeps its recipe yeah you know, a secret. I mean, is there really anything wrong with this? <laughs> yeah, but I think, again, okay, so what are the aims of Coca-Cola versus what are the aims of Freemasonry? I think that's a valid question to put in there. You know, mm -hmm. Coca-Cola wants to sell a soft drink. Okay, uh, Freemasons, according to my buddy who went to the 32nd degree, are to stand as elite vanguard guarding against the five ills of humanity. So I think there's, a, there's an imbalance there that kind of, you know, that's a false comparison, a false equivalent. I'd say, but, um, but then again, you know, what is in Coca-Cola? I mean, that could be a whole, <laughs> whole what the hell are they? There's, there's a reason we don't what, know. What, 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 <laughs> what, you know, <laughs> no, because I mean, Hey, let's face it. In the last 50 years, chemical companies have taken over our food production, Dow, Monsanto, yeah. Bayer, you know, yeah. IG Farben. These are the people selling us food. Hmm. Interesting. <laughs> so I think I'm, I'm still confused on these five ill, sure ill wills of mankind because no. um again as the unbeliever here i'm i you guys are still speaking in tongue to me so okay, no, i need speak. things spelled out a little bit more <laughs> well okay so like again because i didn't go through this the 32nd degree i can i can't quite remember them i can maybe see if i can try to find them but in other words it's it's you have the structure of this group of these men who by way solely of their power their authority and their influence their worldly qualities have managed to attain a degree of power. And I don't just mean within Freemasonry, but look, by and large, these people are royalty, they're CEOs of corporations, they're judges, they're lawyers, they're, they inform the apparatus. Sure. Um, in other words, do you trust these men in secret who, who came up with these five ills in secret, do you really trust these men to have humanity's best interest in at heart? And I guess my conclusion is no. 
based on the comparisons I'm using, that through the revealed word of Christ, that informs me that anyone who's going about it that way has ulterior motives. Who is it like H.L. Menchkin said, the urge to save humanity is almost always a false front for the desire to rule. And I sure. guess I subscribe to that thinking. Joseph, can you explain how the, the 13 families fit into this, the bloodlines? Do you, I don't know if you know all of that, but yeah, well, to the degree you do, can you explain that? Sure, but I mean, just as a surface, because I don't want to start claiming things. I can't quite back up, but again, it's, it's in other words, the, 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 the ideology we're speaking of, in other words, these, these nobility families, these elite bloodlines, this is kind of where that thinking originates or seems to. I mean, I guess we're assuming here for the purpose of spirituality, yes, there's some being outside of reality or outside of our reality that might inform this but there seems to be this cadre of small families uh on this earth who seem to be motivated solely by their own power um and will do anything will you know keep us in the dark to will do anything to attain that power and then will keep us in the dark in order to maintain that power um and I guess going back to my earlier statement about Freemasonry being a feeder organization for that is it gets people in um, that can then be placed, say, in um, think tanks, NGOs, uh, roundtable organizations who will continue to keep who will keep pushing those ideas out. Because I guess what I'm saying is the ideas ha have to come top down. Yeah, for like any corporation. To, yeah, for people to buy into it. So you have this aristocracy in effect, uh, and these organizations, this apparatus of roundtables, of NGOs, of think tanks, and secret fraternal organizations like Skull and Bones, like Scroll and Key. Was it Skull and Bones is Yale, Scroll and Key is Harvard, I think. But anyway, mm -hmm. you know, do you, do you think these people with all this wealth and power are just doing this stuff for a goof? Or do you, I guess, and then this is kind of what my thinking was is as a Mason as I kind of thought to a degree, maybe it was, but then I think what struck me eventually is I said, what if these, what if there are people who really do believe in this level of malevolence? And I think the assumption I came to is there are people who spiritually believe in say pure evil. So in effect, there needs to be a counterbalance of people who believe in the good, which I concluded that is revealed through Christ and that if you take in Christ's word and pray on it as you start for me I would describe it as the scale started to fall from my eyes yeah. where I started to see beyond the surface level rhetoric and the surface level good deeds of the men at the lodge and I started to dig in and really dissect the core philosophies that inform the rituals and like I said it's it's very much it's it's Kabbalistic Judaism to a yeah. large effect uh, which again is kind of the sense of these rabbinical class is like an elite uh enlightened class who knows better than the rest of us and if we just did what they said then we'd have a utopia yeah now um the the thing that comes to my mind as you're speaking is the word new world order and i know we've all heard mm -hmm. that a hundred million times um what is your understanding of that phrase you know new world order and how it fits into what we're talking about when you talk about the agenda of these higher ups that are probably interfacing with some sort of principalities outside of this world but what is your understanding of the new world order well i think 
one of the misconceptions is people use that phrase and they still think of it as something in the future that's planning to come in. And I would argue the New World Order has very much been in effect for a long time. And Freemasonry is a good example of how that works is because um, I guess you could say like the old nobility families, the kings in that who used to kind of rule in isolation. It's almost like over time this there was this change in an effect where well, you have the the legal separation of church and state, um, which which kind of brought you know the element of politics and polity into it. So it's almost like, in a way, the new world order is extending out beyond just the circle itself, trying to to achieve its goals through, say, sheer brute force, which may have been how they did it in the past, where they would just kill people, you know. Um, essentially, you know, they, they would just starve or, or kill you because they had the power to do it. And I think ultimately through the revelations of Christ is he gave people eyes to see and ears to hear this deception. So it's, it's, it's like they had to get more clever. They had to get more discreet. They had to go yeah. more underground and they had to get more in the, because I guess what I'm saying is here is what I, what I come to believe is that the revelations of Christ and the, the death, burial, and resurrection of Christ represents a tipping point in, in our history. Uh, I call it an inverting of the power dynamic, yeah, where he revealed like that, yeah. to regular, regular people how to spot the deception of people who would lord over them. Mm-hmm. So, in effect, the new world order represents that shift to we now need a new way we now need a new way to exert control and Freemasonry ties into that. Again, what I would argue is as a feeder group, it's, it's, it's put out there to attract idealistic individuals. Um, I guess who are ripe for molding and because in effect, I would call it, it's brainwashing. Um, there's very much, I would say there's a cult aspect to it that, you know, this is the way to do it to the exclusion of all others. We look out for each other to the exclusion of all others. You know, it's very much sets itself apart from humanity as a whole, even though on the front, on the surface, it claims to be looking out for humanity. I guess the honest, most honest way to put it is at this point, I take very great, I have great skepticism of that claim at this point, that that is actually what they're trying to do. I hate to say this, but what's coming to mind is, isn't that what Christians do? Like, aren't you your own group who, you know, the veil has fallen off and you see all these things that we don't see? With the exception like, of that. Doesn't that make not, you a lead group too? No, because again, I think what the exception is what Christ... Now, has religion done that? Yes. Is Roman yeah. Catholicism guilty of that? Yes. Are yeah. the forty to 50,000 denomination of Protestantism guilty of that? Yes. Yep. Mm. On one effect. But if you study the word of Christ, that is not, in effect, you're not to go around thumping your Bible at non-believers. We're yeah. called to be witnesses. For, it's, a, it's a different approach because Christ did not force anything onto anyone. He didn't deceive people. He was out in the open with his intention. And that's what we're called to be. So, you know, we're, what is it? The Great Commission, go out to the world and preach the, the gospel, preach the good news. That's, a, in effect, what we are called to do. Mm-hmm. 
if and everybody you, has the free will to you, choose to accept that. And that's the crux of the matter. And this is where, I don't know if you guys are familiar with universalism. I have a group I of am. universalists <laughs> at my church that I'm really, I love the guys, but I'm really trying to understand. That's anyway. what I'm accused of all the time. <laughs> <laughs> so, but yes, I'm very much a, I'm very much a proponent that free will is integral to the mix. Yep. And I think that largely the, the elite consensus view tries to discount that that there are no individuals, there are only groups of people, and you're only a member of a group identity or a tribe, in effect, and tries to discount your individuality. And I would argue that very much you are an individual, and in effect what you're saying is we have choice if you want to go along with it. Um, whereas I would say with, say, the other side of the equation is you have these groups operating secretively telling you they're doing one thing but in effect they're aiming at something completely different and they're deceiving in people into going along with trusting them so right. i don't know if that answers your question about the dichotomy there but i would say as fall as a disciple of christ it's not my job to to subversively work toward getting people to believe what i believe right. i believe what i believe and i will witness to you what i believe and then i leave it to you to converse with God and make up your mind from there. Right. And for, for me, um, I would choose um, following the creator of everything rather than, you know, Lucifer, you know, who's not, yeah. the creator, you know, so that the, to me, I, I don't really see a comparison. It's a, it's, you know, you know, when you say that show you were saying about, you know, being a Christian and isn't that what we're doing? Bottom line is we're following the maker of you, me, and just everybody. <laughs> so the, the universe, everything. Uh, the father of all the children right. of humanity. Yeah. The creator who wants, who loves us, is a loving God, wants the best for us. And my belief is that that nature is most clearest, is most clearly revealed through Christ. So I choose to follow Christ. Uh, well, I, I tried following religion. I tried following politics. I tried following uh, the Freemasonic view. I tried being informed by atheism. I tried being, and all of that left me spinning. Mm -hmm. And all I can say is at this point, given my journey is since I decided to, I guess, sacrifice and give up my pride yeah. and accept Christ, that Christ is who he said he was, mm -hmm. that when I take in his word and apply it, it's night and day. It's incomparable. And no, I cannot rationally empirically prove that to anyone. Yeah. And that's where I think, you know, a lot of the, the dishonest arguments about uh, say the science and religion or science and faith debate get skewed because they're two different, you know, science is, is a method of falsification and testing for probability of outcomes. And you know, essentially science proves what's false that, you know, science is, is a method of falsification. It'll, t it'll answer the if question. If I do this, what will be the outcome? Uh, faith, to me, answers the should questions. Should I do this, what will be the outcome? And I think mm. the, the fallacy that a lot of people who say the Sam Harris's of the world, uh, very smart guy, but I think very misguided, who has this theory of the moral landscape, a scientifically, rationally informed view of the world, is I think what he seems to be ignoring is a, is a very key concept in philosophy, which is the is-ought fallacy, that you cannot derive values from empirical facts. So what, you know, knowing what a table is made of 
will give you one one piece will give you one set of data about the, the material that makes the world up but it will not inform how you interact with the objects of the world and how you interact with other people properly in conjunction with say the natural order of things so that i guess you'll meet the path of, of, of least resistance in effect but anyway i don't want to ram I'm rambling can we um can you give us like I'm just always curious about the rituals and things like that. Like, were you, were you getting like red flags and stuff? I know like the Holy Spirit was probably prompting you like something's not right. Yeah. So I'm just curious about that. And yeah. were you a Christian when you were a Mason? I think that's. Okay. Yeah. So no, I, okay. Well, I technically, I would say I did not actually become a follower of Christ until say a couple of years ago. when I honestly, what happened was my wife who was an alcoholic was saved first. Amen. And I saw her transforming in front of me and I was kind of confronted with something I couldn't rationalize and empirically explain. And being a deep thinker, it's like, okay, maybe this merits some something that I was discounting up to this point. So that was one way that informed my, my transformation. And there were, there were all kinds of other factors, but um, so no, I was not a believer. I grew up religious. Like I said, and I mean that I'm using that in a negative context. That wasn't a good thing. I was grown. I was, I was raised to be religiously legalistic Yeah, me too. Um, as a Baptist. And then, then we went to a Wesley. I was part of like two or three church splits by the time I was 16. Like, you know, it's like totally antithetical to what Christ was saying. But anyway, totally. so I got very jaded with the idea of religion and I threw the baby out with the bathwater. So almost I was kind of looking to Freemasonry as an, an alternate worldview to explain the deep questions I had that no one was able to explain the revelations of Christ to me at the time in a way that would have satisfied that curiosity. So I went looking elsewhere and Freemasonry would be say one in a collection of different ideas and philosophies I got down the rabbit hole of where I was looking for truth, looking for the answers. But in the end, I just came up dissatisfied with what they were telling me it just seemed like a bunch of a hooey and and stuff and a lot of that is you know when you, when you look at um the rituals uh someone was asking about getting into that so um in other words you know each ritual you get you get a and in effect you get a password and a grip or as i like to say you get you get a secret you get a secret magic word and a secret handshake and what you're taught is, you know, in each degree that uttering this secret word and going through the ritualistic motions of handshakes and, and different ways you, 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 you position your feet and hands will somehow in the company of other enlightened brothers bring you to enlightenment. And by taking in the word of Christ and his continuous criticism of the Pharisees and their obsession with ritual, I realized it's like, oh. They're doing the same thing the Pharisees were doing and trying to sell it to the people as this, this is the path to God. And we have, we have the only key. We have the only way to get there. So, so in this ritual that they are saying that do these things and become enlightened, become enlightened. Yeah. You will, because you gotta understand why are people doing this? The promise is enlightenment. Mm. Um, okay. Because I didn't hear that from Johnny yesterday. I heard more from Johnny. Hey, this is like, we're very philanthropic. I, I enjoy the camaraderie and I enjoy well, they, learning about morals, but 
I didn't really hear the word hmm. enlightenment. Did I miss it? That's my weird. Dad, my dad was talking about the the handshakes and things like that and receiving it from a brother and. Well, the handshakes we heard of. Yeah. But but what I'm hearing from you, Joseph, is the word enlightenment. Do this well, stuff and then become enlightened, which which was kind of my understanding of it as well, that, th that there's this promise of growing in enlightenment. What I would put the question back on the, the gentleman who you had on, if you had a chance to follow up, is I would ask him, what's the first thing that he was asked that he seeks when he entered a lodge? And the answer you give is light, enlightenment. Yeah. Like that's, so light. You, okay, so, so what kind of light are, are they referring to? Because well, when, when I just read Ephesians, I remember the word light, mm -hmm. the light of of the Lord, but what kind of light are they talking about? Well, I would, in oversimplified terms, it's the light of Lucifer, because Lucifer, again, is this radiant, shining being who looks really good on the outside, but he's filled with resentment and um, a sense of knowing better than God, you know, like kind of like the idea of Nimrod and the Tower of Babel and, um, and such is that it's a light. It, it, so it's the light of Lucifer, you know, and Lucifer is the shining one, the, the light bearer. You know, these are, this is, this is what it's in effect getting to. Who is but, Jubilee, Jubilee, Jubila? What, my dad was mentioning three uh, people. I'm like, what, what are they? So in the Master Mason degree, um, as I was saying earlier, you're, symbol you're symbolically killed three deaths. And Jubilo, Jubila, Jubilam, whatever, I can't remember. They're, they're the ones that kill you. So in effect, what it is is, and this is key throughout all rituals, in every ritual, you're a stand-in. Mm -hmm. So in the third degree Master Mason ritual, you you are a stand-in for a gentleman by the name of Hiram Abiff, who was yeah. supposedly the, 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 the key planner and architect of King Solomon's temple. Yep. So this is an example of where they, they take a Bible story and they create a mythos around it. So there is the name, a mention of Hiram the Builder in there, but that's it. And then they created this whole entire legend around this Hiram Abiff, who was the, the chief architect, the key builder of King Solomon's Temple. So in the third degree Master Mason ritual, because what happens is it's funny. You go through the ritual, the first part of the third degree ritual, and it's just like the first and second degree. And then when you, you come back inside the lodge, they call you up front, and then it's like, Literally, they say something to the effect of, well, I suppose you believe you're now Master Mason. And of course, the candidate says yes. And then the, ma the master informs him, well, I'm sorry to inform you, but that's not the case. Hmm. Uh, in fact, you have a rough and rugged road before you to travel and I, uh, that many have gone and many have lost their lives to uh, before you may call yourself a Master Mason. And then at that point, you're again re-blindfolded and... You're led around the lodge and you go through the third degree drama portion of the degree, which is really the, the crux of the degree. Um, and these three ruffians, as they're called, who represent lower rank masons, their fellow crafts, where you as Hiram Abiff represent a master mason. And as a master mason, you have the secrets of a master mason. And what happens is these three ruffians, as they're referred to, or these three fellow crafts, uh, attempt to extract the secrets from mm -hmm. Hiram Abiff. Mm -hmm. And the first one has it won't reveal a secret. So the first one, well, anyway, there. I think the first one slits his throat. So then, and again, you're still alive. It's 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 again, it's a spiritual metaphor, I guess. You're then led to the second ruffian who tries to extract the the secrets from you. When you don't give up the secrets, he stabs you in the heart. And then you move to the third ruffian who tries to extract your secrets. And then when you don't give it up, he gives you a blow to the head. 
and that's where you are symbolically killed, you're put in a grave, and a drama is enacted around you, which is simply, which in a sense represents you traversing the underworld. And then uh, at the end of the degree, you are symbolically brought back to life, again, by a magic word and a magic grip. Um, and that, as I've learned in my research since, is that's very much what it is. is this is an ancient Egyptian king-making rite or ritual wow. is, is where it's based in. So, um, Wow, my dad went through that. He said it, it was like a two-day ritual. He yeah, said. well, yes, it can. It can go on. It can go on. And I'll tell you the extravagance of it down here. We even have a rock quarry uh, in our area, which is in an effect, technically speaking, where the ritual actually would have played out. Hmm. So they actually have like places like Masons will have, well, even the lodges in some, like some lodges that might have a lot of money and a lot of resources, they'll acquire a rock quarry and they'll build a replica of, hmm of this ritual and candidates will go through their third degree ritual in, in a rock quarry symbolizing the, the area where around King Solomon's temple would have been, would have been built. It sounds just like my sorority pledging days. <laughs> again, so what, again, what are we talking about here? We're talking about, yes, it's a fraternity. And that would have been something that I would have said as a defense as a Freemason. Well, it's just a fraternity. A fraternity it's a brotherhoods yes so there are these odd rituals you know even some with you know to the degree of hazing i don't know if it would be necessarily that bad but yes there's this ritual initiation that has to take place if you want to be quote one of us hmm. you know what i mean it's like everyone goes to the same thing um again it's 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 kind of stripping you of your individuality if you think about it right because you all identify with these degrees and these rituals you went through um, and, it, and you're informed by the philosophies of masonry and more and more of your, your own independent walk with Christ or, or God gets pushed, pushed aside. So. Wow. Yeah. And you know, um, it sounds like that those who come to this awareness either are Christians or eventually become Christians. Yeah. What do you uh, think about that? Sure. Yeah. Okay. So I would, I would argue there are a lot of Masons who call themselves Christian 100%. Yeah. Johnny is actually one of them. I, I didn't realize he was a Christian, but on through the course of our interview with him, he did share that, that sure. he was a Christian, um, but does, does not uphold the word of God as the, the final authority. Um, but go ahead. I just want to let you know that that you know, like it, it seems like a fundamental requirement to make that statement. But I know, I know, I know, I know. Yeah. Well, so, okay. Well, again, I would argue that's an example of the morally moral yeah. relativism that the ideas of Freemasonry generate. Mm -hmm. yeah. So, in other words, you get to define God at the end of the day. Right. You don't have to abide by any rules because you are, in effect, a god. That's again when I say Luciferian, it's it's Lucifer, Luciferianism. It's they are the gods, right? It's like worship of self. It's worship like I'm self, my own god of the intellect of the unrestrained right. human mind as the salvation of humanity. That you, you happen to be of the right blood, of the right position in society, uh, of the right race, uh, of the right socioeconomic strata, then you get you get to decide these things. 
He described uh, Christianity as a fish and picking from the flesh and leaving the bones, something like that. Right, Steph? Is that he? I think I've heard that one before. Yeah. Uh, And in fact, you know what? It's funny because a lot of my same criticisms are the same now as they were when I claimed to be a Mason or even an atheist because a lot of my criticisms were aimed at religion. Mm -hmm. And I'm a fundamental maintainer that Christ was... He, he had nothing good to say about religion. I think that he's, it's very much disappointing that we've made a religion out of, out of what he revealed because he very much had a, yeah. a warning against religion and, and the ills of religion. And was, he was teaching something new, right? He was teaching, yeah. it was a transformation. It was supposed to represent a change from everything that men had tried to do up to that point to attain some type of communion with God. And it always seemed to fall into this problem. What you see in the Old Testament with the Israelites is it happens all throughout the Old Testament where uh, the Israelites gain a position of power. And what happens? The elite at the top, the kings become corrupt. A prophet comes out of the wilderness and, and says to the king, look, man, you're 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 not abiding by that covenant. You're the widows and the orphans are starving and dying. And if you don't do something about it, God's going to cut you down. Yep. And in fact, what do they choose? They choose to keep doing it their way. And God comes and cuts them down. Yeah. And that happens six times in the, in the Old Testament. So it's almost like Christ was coming to say, okay, you tried it your own way. Now, are you willing to listen to, you know, the, the revelations of, of God? And I think that's, you know, a big, that's again, what a fundamental assumption of being a disciple in Christ is that, I take what he said at face value that he is the revealed word of God as described in John, the Logos. Uh, I don't know if that's a concept you guys are familiar with, but that's a, a big John one. Yeah, John one um, in the beginning big, was the word, the word was, was with God and the word was God. Is that what right, you're referring so to? It's in the Greek word used is the Logos. And part of my discipleship in Christ has been studying the Greek that this was written in because our, our English words just don't even come close to doing a lot of these ideas justice. So when you understand what it means to be the Logos, is the claim is ineffective. He is the clearest articulation of God's will that's ever been revealed. There have been traces of it, say, maybe in Judaism and Buddhism and Hinduism and um, other, other viewpoints, but the argument here and what the early church fathers Summized is by using that term logos is the entire divine structure was revealed through Christ and that's yeah. that's fundamentally what I'm basing my my discipleship on um, so, so I think so can- to go just quickly to tie it back up to go back to the point that the other Mason who claims to be a Christian made is he fundamentally rejects that claim right exactly Exactly. So when, when we say something like a person cannot be a Christian and a Mason, would you agree with that? I don't think you can be a disciple in Christ and be a Mason. Right. Mm-hmm. And, and why? Help, for someone who doesn't understand why we would say that, like, how would, like, Sure, why? because the yeah. revealed word of Christ, and what I mean is what, there used to be a term that was used at one point, a red letter Christian. I guess I would fall into that bucket. I study the word of Christ and honestly, I don't veer too much away from the word, uh, the word of Christ, because again, if he is who he said he was, everything he said was true. Everything he said was eternal. 
We should be taking in his word and praying on it and trying to have it inform our wisdom. And what I've concluded by doing that is what is revealed in here, like the example I gave of oaths in Matthew 23, uh, of secrecy, of not hiding your light in the darkness and under a bushel. Again, these are all things that these organizations are doing. Um, his, his criticisms of the Pharisees, I could easily point in the direction of the, uh, say, the, the top elite of these Freemasonic and pyramidal structures, that they do what they do for the glory of men, not for the glory of God. They do it to feed their own ego um, and their superficial standards of what it means to be a, quote, good person. Yeah. Um, so, right. so we we can can we say that if a person is not a Christian, it really would not matter to them whether or not they're a Mason. No, it wouldn't right. because yeah, that was going to be my next like a way to flip the question is: Do you know any non-Christians that have a problem with this? Because <laughs> uh, it wouldn't make sense, right? What I mean is, I would say if. If you study the word of Christ versus if you study the word of Christ, I would argue that you, your conclusion would be that organizations like the Freemasons go against what Christ revealed. They are anti-Christ. However, if you only let a pastor or a priest on Sunday inform your spirituality for half an hour a week, I could see how easily you would not see a problem with it. Yeah. That's well said. It's not going deep enough. You're not getting, you're getting a consumer version of Christianity mm. that's informing your, you know, something that basically something to keep you going through the week and get through the salt mine so you can come back <laughs> next Sunday and plunk your butt down in the pew and give an offering. And yes, I know that's a highly cynical view of religion and I'm not saying all churches are like that, but I would say that is the norm of institutions that, claim to be quote christian in an effect of what they're doing they're operating like a business they're operating of the world christ calls us to be in the world not of the world that we are set again not set apart in an elitist point of view but set apart in that we try we as we aspire to a set of standards we believe was revealed by the creator of the universe through his son and is the proper way to orient yourself in the world so that you and everyone you come in contact with uh, will, will be able to, I guess, mitigate suffering. So let, let, let's talk about Washington, D.C. Um, what is your understanding of the layout of Washington, D.C.? Was this something intentionally designed by Masons or was this just some sort of, you know, there were some Masonic things here and there more just from inspiration rather than from oh, I'd say it, it is because what are your you, thoughts? You have to understand that these people are serious. Like it's not just a goof to, and this ties into, I saw your other question about people referring to the U S as a Masonic experiment. And I think this is where this will go in and tie in nicely with that question. Yeah. So the founding fathers were Freemasons. That's not disputed. Yeah. Uh, and I think Johnny and uh, your dad would agree with that, Michelle. Yeah. I think they said that. Even Johnny, Canada, Johnny named them all. <laughs> even in Canada, our first prime minister, Sir Johnny Macdonald, was a Freemason. And the people who started Canada, in effect, were, were Freemasons. So, yet, yes, the U.S. was a Freemasonic. I'll start with this, then I'll come back to your question about Washington, D.C. Uh, uh, 
the, the United States of America was a Freemasonic experiment in that the way I've heard it explained, it's like they, they kind of gave in theory what would have been, in other words, the constitution does hit a lot of good points about recognizing the sovereign freedom of the individual, you know, the, the notion of we, the people, that's another thing I understand in Canada, there is no, we, the people, all our politicians swear their oath and obligation to the queen. There's no, we, the people, there's no, oh, that's right. okay. You know, there's no representative republic in that sense. And what was it? Was it Thomas Jefferson who was quoted as saying uh, when everything was kind of sealed up? Here you go. A republic. If you can keep it. And I think that's really the crux of the matter here is they offered this kind of template for a, a, a free republic. But then in a sense, what you find is when you leave it open like that is it leaves it also free for the corrupting and evil elements to come in and manipulate and um, misuse that freedom. So going back to Washington, D.C., yes, the symbols are everywhere. The obelisk, the Washington Monument, that's an Egyptian obelisk. Uh, and, you know, the Egyptian symbolism is ripe through Freemasonry because uh, to tie into one of your other questions I saw in the, in the notes, um, yes, the, the Mason terms comes from builder, stone Mason, uh, a builder that the, they view themselves as the builders of civilization, if you will, the builders of culture stemming back to Nimrod and the tower of Babel. Yeah. So you look at, you know, you can see these Egyptian obelisks, not only in Washington, DC, but you see them in other sovereign city states like Vatican city, um, London. Switzerland, and you got to ask, why in the hell is there an Egyptian obelisk in the quote new world in in Washington D.C. and in in these other sovereign city states? And I guess my argument is, it's these same families, these same pharaonic bloodlines that have managed to manage to operating behind the scenes uh, to continue to be the builders of culture and of civilization. So yes, I guess ultimately to answer your question, there's very much an intent by these people to replicate their views in geometry and numerology because these people are obsessed with sacred geometry, with numbers, <laughs> with numerology, <laughs> magic words, incantations. Mm. Um, oh, yeah. I, have two, I have two questions. I don't want to forget. <laughs> I don't want to forget them. Okay, so the first question is, you were talking about bloodlines. Um, and we, Stephanie, I'm sure will share with you um, can somebody get invited to become a Mason, like because of their bloodline? That was one question. And the other question, so I don't forget, is, is there a secret that even though you're not in the lodge anymore, you're not practicing, are there secrets that you just cannot divulge? I'm not asking for them, but That's is a there a question, something? Michelle. That's well, a good well, <laughs> to your second question, I would say no, because I don't. My oath and obligation to the Masons is like Paul, like the Apostle Paul. That's, that doesn't count for anything anymore. I'm a new creation in Christ now. Amen. My aim and my objective is to reveal the truth. So, no, there's nothing. If, if I know it, I will gladly talk about, talk about it. Um, so, basically, nothing's a secret at this point. <laughs> at this point, for me, no. Okay. What was your first question again? And then the other one is, can somebody, because of their bloodline, can they do investigating and, and pick up somebody? Yeah, well, Stephanie could tell you the story of what happened with her hairdresser's boyfriend. I don't know. Um, well, yeah, like, let's say, you know, because at the top, right, a lot of this stuff all trees up to these 13 
families and there's connections with bloodlines and so forth. So let's say there's someone who is of one of the prominent bloodlines. Would there be some truth to maybe speaking through the Freemasons? Maybe they, they, they know who some of these children and grandchildren are that they would maybe proactively invite them that yeah but I, I will say that the official stated policy of of freemasonry is they don't recruit right and that's what we heard yesterday and, and and i would say that this would not be a standard i think i think we all agree that it's not the standard way by which freemasonry well, operates but are there occasional exceptions well, i would say it's not an occasional exception what i was going to get to is in practice it's very much going it's it's very much a in my experience okay. that the ones who get in go out and try to recruit i didn't mm -hmm. there was only like one guy i ever mentioned it to because at the time you know he was a close friend and i, I would say at the time i pegged him as masonic material i thought he was a good upstanding guy and mm. and at the time that you know we could use a guy like him if you will yeah um but by and large i didn't I didn't disclose it much, you know what I mean? I didn't, I didn't ever push the conversation for recruitment, but in my experience, that, because it largely becomes a click, it becomes an old boys club where you get a certain strata of individuals who get in there and then they just start bringing in more people like them. Um, I think in my case really around here is I was kind of the exception in being that I strictly proactively reached out to the Freemasons and that I was becoming familiar with it. Um, I was kind of buying into the, the ideas of enlightenment. And I guess again, to your earlier uh, point about the other gentleman, not focusing so much about that, but focusing on the philanthropy, I think it depends on your motivation. Cause for me, I was very much motivated by a desire to seek the truth. I wasn't so much concerned about the philanthropy or the social aspect. Although a lot of people that do go in, it's strictly a networking, it's a social uh, opportunity, it's a philanthropic outlet. For me, I was seeking knowledge, I was seeking information, and I felt, or I, I was duped, I would say, into believing at the time that what the Freemasons were selling was something worth uh, worth checking out. But um, yeah. You know, in terms of I think that's a good point that you bring yeah. up, right? Because I think that would be true across all false religions and yeah. false practices, right? Because even myself, I was I was into the New Age for oh, me too. 15 years. Yeah. And there's, there is a lot of Freemasonic stuff that I have seen, I also believed in in the New Age. So there's a lot yeah. of that even mixed in with the New Age beliefs, you know? Um, and it, it, I came out of it because, similar to yourself, I was seeking truth. Yeah. I was seeking truth. And so I think that that is a good distinction, that if someone is just in the Freemasonic, um, Freemasonry, just for the idea of like what you said, camaraderie, philanthropy, maybe just they like some of the the doctrines and the things that they're learning, but the, but at the root, it's not really, hey, I'm seeking to know the truth, then I can see how those people wouldn't really care, right? And the other thing I wanna say is to kind of tie this together, and that's, I'm glad you brought that up. So you're probably familiar with the Lucius Trust? Yes. Okay, so there is a prime example. So here's an organization called the Lucius Trust, who is a premier 
what, a premier think tank to the United Nations, started by Alice Bailey, an occultist, and her husband, Foster Bailey, an occultist. And you go on their website and you can read their philosophies about Lucifer, and they have something, a prayer on there called the Great Invocation. Well, that could have been taken right out of a Masonic ritual in that it's uh, right. this idea that all religions are equal, you know, and as a disciple of Christ, I do not believe that. I believe that yeah. there are degrees of truth revealed in certain uh, certain beliefs and philosophies, but say the whole truth and nothing but the truth came through Christ. They don't believe that. They put Christ on equal footing with all the other pagan gods and goddesses of the past. And my point is, so this is an organization that is very much connected to groups like the United Nations who inform their core philosophies that result in morally relativist views of, of humanity that, you know, and look, I got a military family and I talked to a lot of guys in the military, people who've been in United Nations meat grinders, man. And you, like, they see the reality of what happens when the UN gets on the ground in these war zones. It's not, it's not what they tell us. It's not all peace and flowers and, you know, it's um, it's satanic. I have a silly question. Yep. My skeptical, not ske well, um, we're not getting in trouble for this, right? Like they're not going to come after us and like. <laughs> so funny, Michelle. I was waiting for that one. So, <laughs> the men in black are going to knock at your door, yeah. Michelle. So it's, and, and I saw this noted in the, in the question notes too, about like, you know, has anyone ever threatened me or anything like that? No, I mean, like I said, really, like, yeah, there are blood oaths you take. And I mean, they're, they're pretty gruesome. Like, I mean, I had some, uh, I had one here, my Master Mason one. So let me give you an example. So this is the Master Mason. This is the penalty that you oblige when you go through the rite, okay? Mm -hmm. To all of this, I do most solemnly, sincerely promise and swear without the least hesitation, mental reservation or self-evasion of mind in me whatsoever, Binding myself under no less a penalty than that of having my body severed in twain in the midst, one part carried to the north, the other carried to the south, my bowels burned to ashes in the center, and those ashes scattered to the four winds of heaven, that there may not remain among men or masons the least character, shadow, trace, or resemblance of so vile and perjured a wretch as I should be, should I ever prove willfully guilty of violating any part of this, my solemn oath and obligation as a master mason. Whoa. <laughs> yeah right but but now is that symbolic like or, i mean i would argue to now by and large the way it's practiced out today probably largely symbolic but then there are cases of like uh, what was his name god's banker uh calvi i don't know if you know who i mean he was like the vatican banker who was found under with bricks in his pocket and an yeah, amount of cash and so i mean like i said it depends it depends on it depends on which circle. It depends on which circle you come in contact with. I would argue in my experience, I was in so far the outside circle of it that I'm, I'm like I said, I bump into Masons all the time around here locally. Um, and I chat. I'm not hostile to any of them by any means, if anything. And I'm not calling them my enemies. But when we've talked a lot about, say, these nobility families and that, I'm conscious, like, I take in the word of Christ to pray for my enemies, that the scales would be lifted from their eyes, because I believe if they were to come to that light, things would be a lot better uh, for all of us in that sense. As you talk about, like, the circle, like, as you kind of go higher up and maybe the circle becomes smaller, mm -hmm. as I understand it, things do get a little darker. 
Yeah. Right. I mean, we, we are saying on one hand that when we claim that this is a satanic deception, that what, what, what you guys are not saying is that in the local lodges, you know, you're not killing goats and doing weird stuff, but as, as it does get smaller and as it does go higher, I don't know that that's not, that that's not necessarily well, true. Like, what do you well, think about that? To maybe qualify it. Okay. Let's qualify it at the local level. If again, if you're using Christ as the standard, so let's assume that for a minute. Um, you're performing rites and rituals and incantations. Um, you know, there's, uh, so like in the Royal Arch, literally like when you open the meeting and this is like where threes and nines and stuff all come into, into play, like, uh, okay. So, um, the mixing of names of gods like Jabalon, which is a combination of Yahweh bow of the old testament i'm not like that's coming out a lot more and more i find is is this uh bow worship but anyway jab yeah. on and owen for osiris the father in egyptian so it's like you're you're doing these incantations spouting the names of pagan gods linked arms around an altar chanting in unison i mean you don't get any uh, Look, it may, you may look at that and say, well, what's the harm? Look, here's the thing. As a human, maybe I don't fully understand the harm in that. But Christ, who was the revealed word of God, said that's the road to hell. So is Freemasonry more like just, it, it's like, a, I don't know, like going vegan or, <laughs> um, I don't know, I buy a product from Monsanto and... Maybe I think I'm just buying a product and there's no harm, but essentially I'm supporting this horrible system. I mean, is this what? Oh, that's a great analogy. That's a good. That's a great. That's actually, I never heard that. that that's a really good analogy. Like you're supporting G GMO manufacturing or something through Monsanto. Right. Because they, because they've managed good. to get into a position where they can market that product to you and convince you it's what yeah. you need. Yeah. Right. But, That's in exactly effect, what it's like. but in effect, you're supporting, yeah, you're supporting monopolistic control of the food supply. That's a, that's right. a great analogy. Yeah, I love that. Yeah, that's I'm going to use that one. That's a good one. <laughs> but yeah, I guess that, that's what it comes down to is in, well, I'm sure uh, people like folks on here, Stephanie, I'm assuming where you were new age, you're familiar with like, Crowley, Alistair Crowley, who popularized yes. the do what thou wilt. And that's kind yes. of the attitude yes. that 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 is pervasive in Freemasonry. And also I would say at in the world or in culture at large, that stems out from influencers like Crowley and the effect he had on the political class in his day. Yep. Um, that these ideas just kind of they become malignant. In effect, you know, that, and they sound good. Yeah, do what you do what thou wilt. Follow your heart. Sounds good. In application, people who do that, I think if they're honest with themselves, is they, they come to find that it doesn't satisfy them. But before we end, I do want to ask about the symbols. Oh, nice. Yeah. Because I know a lot of these symbols are occultic symbols. Yeah. Right? Do I, is that correct? So again, the way you asked me at the beginning of the show is, you know, what is Freemasonry and, and kind of the way they would explain it is they would say Freemasonry is a morally progressive science 
revealed through symbols and explained through allegory. That's the way they would define it. Right. Now, again, what I say is I come back to is a symbol. A symbol is only known to people who are initiated to understand what the symbol is. And this goes back to kind of what I was talking about earlier about my spiritual identity being rooted in the word is I think that, so again, when you go through the Masons and you go through each level, you're given a secret word, you're given a set of symbols, tools, and things like that. And you're kind of left with this notion that there's these magic words or incantations that will reveal enlightenment. I think what's pointed out through Christ is what he reveals is it's not about any, any one word or magic word. It's about the word, revealed language, speech, which is the Logos talked about in John 1, that we have this gift of humans, have this gift of articulated speech that sets us apart from the animals. And for, well, if you want to get into symbols, again, you kind of have to go back to the Tower of Babel that when God scattered the peoples, these, the people who desired power and authority linguistically were cut off from each other, but they still had their symbols. Symbols convey a universal meaning. So you can communicate across language barriers. You can communicate certain sets of information across language barriers that you can reveal in a symbol or conceal in a symbol that kind of cuts across that that uh that language barrier oh that makes sense yeah okay this is the first time i'm i'm hearing of of it explained this way so that that's insightful never thought about that so you know the symbols very much conveyed i would say yeah there's double meaning so kind of what i was getting at in a minute where you meant a minute ago where you mentioned the g so there's all, you, you, okay, I've heard God, I've heard it stands for gnosis, I've heard it stands for geometry. geometry. Another yeah. one, now this is what I was getting at a minute ago though, another one I've heard is it also stands for the male generative principle. And this is where it gets into things like occultic sex magic and okay. uh, what I said about all the negative aspects of of a paternalistic mindset are kind of encapsulated in this like the brute male domination uh of the kings of like the ancient pharaohs and that and and honestly when i was talking earlier about obelisks those are male phallic symbols that this ruling elite kind of puts out in the world to show their dominance another thing i wanted to bring about too is before i forget is spiritualistically speaking it's it's sun worship yeah, that's true. Because yeah. you look at the three main officers of the lodge. The off, the worshipful master sits in the east. Why? It's right in the, it, actually, I can recite it to you. It says, because as the sun rises in the east to open and adorn the day, so rises the worshipful master in the east to give instruction to his lodge and yada, yada, yada. Then you have this, the junior warden who sits in the south because the junior warden sits in the south because as the sun is at the south at high meridian, which represents the beauty and glory of the day, blah 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 and then you have the senior warden who sits in the west because as the sun sets in the west at the close of the day so so in other words it's is so to the to the ones out there they say what's the harm what's in other words okay 
in the way you rationalistically view the world, I could see how you can't make the connection. But what I'm trying to get across is what you see as a goofy fraternity is actually rooted in these ancient pagan sun worship cults, uh, yeah. ancient Egyptian uh, king-making rites. Um, in other words, you may not take the spirituality seriously, but guess what, bucko? They do. Yeah, and and so does God. <laughs> and so does God, ultimately. Yeah. And I think that's and that that kind of explains up that's perfect way of surmising what I, the the realization I came to in the end is: if they take it seriously, God takes it seriously. I better take it seriously, and I better get right with God. Yep. If I'm gonna before I continue. So now, um, I know that you mentioned the elite. You just mentioned it now, and and. Yeah. Uh, this this group of people and i know cheryl you have mentioned like oh no uh there's no such thing as that um can you define that joseph a little bit more for people that maybe don't understand what what you mean when you say the elite or this higher group of people like you know i have people in my network that they'll joke and they'll say oh so what is it like a group of old guys sitting in a dark room smoking cigars (laughs) making all the decisions of the world like again, the goal of this is to demystify a lot of this stuff and and to really bring education. So can you define that a little more? I guess what I'm getting, you're talking about people who believe that with enough money, power, and authority, they have the right to wield the power of the gods. And who are these people though? Like who are they? Well, you're you're 13 bloodlines, you're administrators of think tanks. Um, It's not like five guys it's like a it's like it's a network i think what is a network i think you do have like there's a an old researcher by the name of dr john coleman and he talked about something called the committee of 300 i was just going to ask you about that okay (laughs) okay so his claim and i because he was an intelligence analyst right so he was someone who was in intelligence circles again i have I have no reason to dispute Dr. John Coleman's claims is what I mean is like when I say I'm not making an appeal to authority, but I'm saying that given what I've learned and given his credentials, who the hell am I to question it? And he claims that, yes, there's this one group he identifies as the committee of 300 who also known as the Olympians in, in intelligence circles. And his claim that I found very striking is he said, they only converse with each other and their God. And he just left it at that and that they view themselves as set apart from the rest of us that because of their money, their power, their authority. Well, it's what we're getting uh, uh, to bring it home more is you, are you familiar with theories of social Darwinism like Herbert Spencer and Thomas Malthus, these British aristocrats from like the 17, 1800s who had the money, power and authority. And they essentially, they essentially look, they, the plans are there if you just want to go read them. It's not a secret, I guess, is my argument. If you want to do the digging and do the homework, there is this, there is this class who views themselves set apart, who have the money, power, and authority to, to dictate policy and to dictate legislation um, that is solely for the benefit of them and their power to the detriment of all of us. Like, I mean, Thomas Malthus, he was the the Malthusian crisis, as he described it, was that basically as people, as regular human beings, um, as our quality of life improved, 
And as we helped each other and as we were altruistic to each other, effectively what would happen is we would create a population in crisis where there'd be too many people and there wouldn't be enough food. So his reasoning was with a rationalistic mindset is you have to introduce measures into the population where it'll call itself. Like, like the coronavirus. Well, no, I'm kidding. <laughs> well, hey, that's or or easily incentivized abortions for third world countries and for inner cities. Yeah. Pretty dark and twisted, I think. I think yeah. it's it's anti-life, it's anti-human. I think, and I know I'm talking to a group of women here, and I just did a video about this, about the deception of, quote, reproductive rights. Um, how I think, to a large effect, when you look at the people who are pushing this, Margaret Sanger, who was the founder of Planned Parenthood, she was on the record. They wanted to find, like, they, she did not believe the black race was qualified and fit to survive under her social Darwinistic eugenicist views. And then she went on to found Planned Parenthood, where if you look at the statistics, it's black mothers in inner cities that are by and large killing their future. Well, let's and do this, Joseph, because um, I think you're bringing up some great points, but just for, just for sake of time, right? Yep. Why, don't we, why don't we end here and um, I mean, because like, like we said in the very beginning, this could be a one week discussion because the, this rabbit hole goes so deep. We haven't even touched the Vatican. Yeah. Um, we haven't touched the Federal Reserve, which I would love to talk about that. I mean, there's just so many things. This rabbit hole gets really deep. Maybe we can even do a part two at some point. I, I mean, say, if you want to make this a series and have me back on, I'd be, I'd, I'd be open to that or a part two for sure. Yeah. So, but, but let's do that. So. Um, Ladies, do you have anything else you want to say? No, I think that everything is very educational, and um, I definitely think we should do another episode for sure. Definitely part part two. Love you.